this morning, I'm going to give an update on fall and some of the things and activities and things that will be happening in fall. We, one of the things we've done over the last couple years is we made a decision that we just wanted to, a few times a year, check, you know, have a, have a point where we have a service where we say, hey, here, here's what's going on. Um, here's what we feel like the Lord's focusing us on so that we could just all be together and aware of what's happening. And so we're going to do that this morning. Look at that. Fall, fall update. This is the most simple PowerPoint you'll ever have seen in your entire life um, because it's a simple update. Um, but I had this thought. I was listening to testimonies. I, I bought this new Bible a month ago. I had some birthday money that I never spent that my parents gave me, and I, I wanted this new, new Bible. I, tra I travel, and so I wanted a Bible. I wanted my main Bible to be more travel-y, and so I bought this new Bible. And then after that, I also bought this Bible, this Bible case, because I've had Bibles messed up from travel. And so I bought this like leather case, and I've been really admiring this case for this week. I'm gonna be honest with you. If it like, if you can see it, like kind of perfectly fits my Bible. And as I was uh, looking at it. I think what I like about it is that I like ordered it to the exact specifications of the Bible, and it wasn't super expensive either, Dave. Just I'll I'll tell you, <laughs> got a good I got a good deal on it, and um, as I was looking at it, I realized that part of what was pleasing about it is that it fits perfectly, and. For me, I've been asking this question the last few weeks as I've preached repeatedly on, please forgive me, um, which is, what does obedience look like in this moment? Not, as, not what does obedience look like when all this stuff works out. What does obedience look like right now in this moment? And when I was looking at that this morning during prayer, I thought to myself that God has this specific he has a specific fit for us he has places of faith and obedience in our life that's not just like a general fitting bag on Amazon you can get but it fits and I think that my encouragement to you is that God does not just have a general Christianity for you he has a specific path for your life. I think that I've been trying to work this out for a number of years, but watching, as, as I've mentioned numerous times, as a pastor, the thing I've seen most people, more, at least in my, my life of pastoring, the thing I've seen most people derailed over is having some sort of specific dream or thing that they imagined God was going to do through them or some way it was going to look and that thing not working out as if they expected and that resulting in disappointment and at times anger towards the Lord and, and disenfranchisement with their own faith. Um, and so that's, that's like hanging there. I've seen so many people sidelined by that. And I think that maybe one of the reasons is that we sort of create 
our own path of what we think it's going to look like, and we call it what God wants to do. But then you, what happens when you go through that disappointment is you come to the place, well, you know what, I'm just going to love God and love people. I'm going to do the simple stuff, and I'm going to follow, just follow God generally. But I do actually believe that when I look at the stories of Scripture, God does want us to follow the principles that are available to all of us, but I also believe that he has specific path that fits like a glove for all of us. And if we will let go of the contrived imaginations that we've had, that we've created, and just get into the flow of obeying him day by day, there's this old um, Celtic Christian blessing that my dad likes to quote, and he says, he says, may the road rise up to meet you. I think as we start to be obedient in the little things, the road will rise up to meet us, as opposed to mapping out the whole territory from a helicopter. Um, so, fall update. Um, this thing out of the way for a moment. Um, I want to, before I do a follow-up date, I want to remind you of, of something that's, that's important to our community. Um, so over the last, I, I will call it a five, six-year journey to three-year journey, there's sort of sequences of this journey. Um, we have, we've become a church that that focuses on seasons in the way that we do ministry. And that happened over a long process. Like initially, how many of you remember when Brian Zahn came? He came and spoke, and, and we, we learned about praying through liturgy. And then, um, and then we, we took a church through this transition of house church, and... And then for two and a half years, we met in house churches on Sunday morning in perpetuity. And what, what we found, what happened in that process was, was that we saw leaders were burning out from that. And people are so faithful and committed to this community. They, just, they might have just gone to other, you know, forever, just like, you know, exhausted and tired. And so we paused what we were doing with house church. While we want to maintain the spirit and intentionality of community that was birthed, I believe, in that time, um, we felt like that God had a way for us to continue down the path, not to go backwards, but to continue down the path that he had for us. And so one of the things that happened was we started more closely, not, not tightly, following the Christian calendar, um, so when we began our uh, we began Advent, that happens, you know, normally at the end of November, the beginning of December, and that leads us in our journey towards towards Christmas, where we celebrate um, the birth of Jesus. But Advent brings us at the beginning of the Christian calendar. It begins with Advent. It brings us into this waitful, expectant, hopeful, just waiting on God to break through, and. Then we come to Lent where we tell the stories of Jesus and then we get to Easter 
and and so and then we go all the way to Pentecost. But what we decided was that we wanted to allow our community to be formed in rhythms and seasons. So if you look at our calendar, we do follow the Christian calendar um, somewhat closely, not exactly. Uh, but what we also do is try to think about our year in particular seasons. So during the spring, we have the season where we are in house church for three months, and we're telling the key stories of Jesus to, our, to, to each other, to our kids, to our whole community. We do that in our sermons. We do that in our discussions. And that's a time of the year where we are focused on on helping people know God's story. When we come into the summer, when we get out of Pentecost, we started our shepherding groups. And the discipleship groups, the shepherding groups, the goal of those is not just to help know the story of God, which we want to know, but how do, how do we fit into this story? And so we, we intentionally make that shift in the summer that the form, we shift from house church to these smaller groups that meet. The form shifts, but also the focus shifts a little bit. And then in fall, what we have, and we're not married to any of this, we're just exploring what, it, what the rhythms look like for us. In fall, what we've done the last couple of years is we've done things that we felt like gave us the opportunity to engage other people with the story of God. And so I just want to make note of that, that, that we, over the last few years, more and more we've leaned into what it means to be a seasonal church in our formation. How many of you have read a passage of Scripture from the, from the, from the, book, the prayer book this year? Right? Like almost everybody. And, and so what that does is that aligns us in a place where we're praying, we're reading, studying thing, these things together. And so all of that fits, fits together. And, and so we decided we would pick up, the fall is not a time where the church calendar has any sort of instructional element, sort of an open season. And so we decided, we typically pick a theme for fall. And we decided to make a, kind of a theme fitting in with our sort of overall theme this year of like this walk of faith. And so when we want to look at Abraham's life, and it won't be like a sermon series, but over the fall, there will be a lot of talk about our walk of faith and how we live out this journey of faith. And, you know, Abraham is this great example of, of one who walked by faith. And in doing that, if you want to jump to the next slide, we literally are going to do some walks. Oh, look at that. There it is, the walk of faith. <laughs> Um, we, are li we are literally going to do some walks starting the week of September 12th. November 12th, we will send all this out in email and text. Um, there will be some of these like that you will have to sign up for. Um, but we are going to do two walks weekly during a two-month period of time um, that will be kind of accomplishing doing different things. A number of years ago, um, a, number, a number of us started walking around on the street um, with just the goal of talking to people, like not the goal of giving people anything, giving them cl clothes or doing anything, just talking to people and getting to know people. And John Wallace, when they were doing their ministry with the homeless, they found, um, and I felt like this was accurate, they found that the homeless in Dallas have um, 
They can get housing, they can get food, and they can get clothing. They can get most any resource if they if they make any reasonable effort. They can get most any resource that they want. The one thing they cannot get easily is relationship. And so um, we started walking around and kind of stopped doing that. And I went down to work at this co-working space uh, this last year. And there's a number of nonprofits and businesses there. It's, it's just south of downtown, um, just south of Deep Ellum, really. And there's a ministry that operates there that simply what's called the human impact. And simply what they do is they take people on walks through the street and they just have conversations with people and get to know them over the long haul. Pray for them at times. But just like eye contact, conversation, getting to know people. And so we took, you know, I've gotten to know a number of their team and then took the kids out and walk with them. And now my, actually also my electric bike, my electric bike route is like right down by all the people we're getting to know. So I, I always give the wave when I'm rolling by. <laughs> I'm the only guy on the electric bike. And um, yeah, <laughs> listen, I hadn't found too many of them yet, but you're right. There's a few out there. But, um, but anyway, what we asked of them was, would you allow us a specific time for our community to come down and just walk with you guys? And, and so they said, yeah, of course. And so we're going to on, make uh, two days available for our community to be able to just go. And it's something kids come down a lot. My kids came down talked with me, you know, just like to, it's, when you're down there, there's not like the sense of uns, unsafeness. And, 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 and so I, uh, it is something that you will have to register for, but we would like our group to participate because it's not just, I think the point of this is not just what we have to give to those who don't have, but it's what we have to receive. Um, when, when Jesus said, you clothed me, you fed me, you did all these things, you visited me in prison, the disciples were like, when did we do all that? And he said, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And so I think there is an encounter of Jesus in the presence of the poor and the suffering that we have to receive, which is why we will be taking our kids down there as much as we can and going. So I will be kind of leading that. Not, leading's not really facilitating is probably the best word. They're, they're the ones kind of leading it. Very simple. You can come. We'll be at lunchtime and you'll be, you can come and do a walk and uh, yeah, it'll be something that we'll be doing. Benedict, uh, the Sutton firm, our group will be doing it as well. And so yeah, the second thing is that Zane, as you know, how many of you have heard anything at all about Peace Initiative? It's not something we formally announced but Zane's been working on Peace Initiative, which is a process, I would call it a bit of spiritual direction, to help helping people discover what peace is in their life. So, so this is, um, in the long run, it may be another year before this is like fully finished. In the long run, it's going to be this thing that you go through where you might have a 45-minute session with somebody, an hour session, and that's guided and helps you ask certain questions to help you uncover what peace, how you can walk in a deeper sense of peace of God in your life. And so while we're still working on that, I said, Zane, hey, what if we did some 
walks of peace just through nature. And we could just ask questions and pray so that people could have a deeper exploration um, in the interim time of what it looks like to walk out peace. And so we have, in our walk of faith, we have two, um, two walks that will be happening weekly. That's a to-be-determined, likely in the morning, um, probably going to be somewhat near Ralad, if I were to assume. And so we want you to be aware that these things are happening. They are going to be ways that we will be engaging as a community. And so while it's house church in the spring where you're meeting and sitting over a meal, this fall there will be walks that will be available to you. In addition to that, we decided to extend the summer shepherding groups. And so if you desire to be in those deeper, smaller formational communities, you can still sign up and we can still help you find people who are doing that. So those are, those are a few things that are built-in ways of connecting in within community. And yeah, if you want to go to the next slide, a couple of other initiatives that I want to mention. How many of you remember Business Incubator last year? We had a number of entrepreneurs, both inside ClearPath and outside ClearPath, that came to this. And I said, I'm not going to do that again for a while. It was awesome, but it took a ton of work on heavy lifting on, on my end especially. And I, so I um, had a friend of mine, who goes to El Portone here, El Portone Coffee? Um, the, you know, Bruno and Issa, Bruno came to me and was like, hey, do you have like, any, do you know of any sort of like curriculum that we could like run out of our coffee shop to like help entrepreneurs figure out if they want to start a business? Or He's like, I'm just thinking about doing this. You know how to, I could help with that? And I was like, um, yeah, yes. And so I told him about what we did and I was like, gave him the curriculum. He was like, oh, this is exactly what I'm wanting to do. He's like, would you help me run this? And I was like, yes, I will help you run it. And so um, if you have any interest in serving, this is another way we will be engaging outside of our community. If you have interest in serving in any capacity, um, entrepreneurs who are thinking about starting a business, have already started a business, I'm going to be partnering with El Portone to host a seven-week thing with them. They're going to be kind of pulling all the logistical components together so that I'm not that part is not dependent upon me, but they're going to be opening up their coffee shop after hours, no cost, and helping entrepreneurs in the East Dallas area to be able to work through things, which is awesome. I mean, like, they're, they're not gaining anything out of this other than that they love the Lord and they're wanting to serve people. So I said, okay, yeah, we, we can help. Um, safe families, I wanted to make brief mention of this. So some, we brought safe families in last year to talk about what they do, what safe families does is offers resources, especially to mothers, when they are going through a time where maybe they, they have lost a job, maybe they need to get, go through rehab to get off drugs. There's a period of time where they're at risk of losing a child to C CPS, but it ha have, hasn't fully happened yet, but they need some help for a period of time to be able to, to either get their feet back on the ground what Safe Families does is they offer host families and other types of volunteers who come around them and give them, this is usually six weeks, gives them space to be able to get their footing set again. And um, they have this incredible, like, 95% reunification rate of families. And 
all of these kids, if you imagine, if they didn't have this like sort of last resort, they would have been in the system or at least in the process, the legal process of the system where it would have, it could have, you know, they, mothers could risk losing the child or going through years of legal work. And so Andrew and I decided we wanted to actually be a host family um, and bring some kids into our home. We've been in some transitionary stuff in our life, and so we've put off doing the training. We are now like, okay, it's time to get this done. If you have interest in being a part of the Safe Families, that's probably going to come together this fall. This fall, I don't have yet particular details about that, but we will need support in supporting those families. And so if you have interest, please talk to Alana or Andrea, and I just want to put that initiative that's also there. Um, Let's go to the next slide. We, we recognize that House Church provides a sort of con continuous community point, and so we want to provide other ways that people can, we continue to engage. And so we are planning on putting together some social gatherings. I told Andrea that after the rodeo event, I said one required event for me this fall is that I want to host a two-step Western dance night somewhere. And so, like, if you have any interest in that, we're going to be planning that event. But, but I, I, uh, we're going to plan some different things. And so just be aware of that. We're going to plan some hangouts. We're also going to do the fall camp out again. And that's going to be the weekend before Thanksgiving. And I think that this year we're going to structure some uh, more focused spiritual time in that. And so uh, those are just things to be sort of on the horizon. I think that that's, I think that that's it. I want to um, just take a minute, and I mean literally this is a sermonette. Um, I want to take a minute and just, just read Romans 40, not Romans 40, what in the world? Romans 4, 20 through 22. And um, I want to read it and just talk about our walk of faith for a moment. The reason I think Abraham is so interesting is what Romans 4 says about him. At the beginning of Romans 4, it says that Roman or that Abraham had faith and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And so Romans 4 is about this life of faith. But I want to read to you what, what this says about him. I just think it's an incredible example of faith. It says about Abraham, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him as righteousness. Um, I want to mention a few things just as a precursor to this theme of walk, our walk with faith is I, I love this, this first statement in, in verse 20. It says that he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. That is one that is sometimes hard for us to imagine living up to. But this is what it says about Abraham. Abraham, Abraham had ups and downs and he had mistakes, but what Paul says is that he did not waver in his unbelief. Um, 
I, uh, I've noticed over the years, one of the things I've noticed in the church world, especially for those my age, is how many of you have gone through some point in your life where you had to rethink or question or, or gain new beliefs that maybe you grew, you grew up in the church, but how many of you have rethought your faith at all? Okay, so what happens in the process of that is that you gain questions and you realize that there are some things that you previously believed that you no longer believe. And sometimes when that happens, um, there's the possibility of us doubt, doubting um, God <laughs> where we really should be we really should be doubting man, you know, man makes mistakes in the way he explains God, but we when we get these questions, sometimes it causes us to doubt God himself. And what I've noticed over the last few years in the church dialogue in the world, I wouldn't say it's particular to Clearpath, but I just want to make note of it. I've I've heard somebody else say this as well, is that doubt has shifted from an accommodation. I mean, you know, like when, when Thomas doubted, Jesus still ministered to him. But what does he tell him? Somebody greater those who believe. Yeah. What is it? Yeah, don't. And yes, that's right. Yeah, greater are those who believe who have not seen. And, and so Jesus is accommodating to Thomas's doubt. But doubt is not like the high watermark of his faith. And there's this, been this language in our conversation of wrestling with God where I think some people have actually made doubt this sort of watermark of what true faith is. And it's actually not real. Like, that's not the way it is. Like, God will accommodate our doubt. He will accommodate us exactly where we are. But I don't need to doubt God to have genuine faith. And you're going to have a life of ups and downs. You're going to have a life of, of, of rethinking and rethinking and rethinking. But it does not mean that we need to enter into unbelief. And so I'm just going to mention three. These, this is the first one. Three things from this passage in Romans that I think rob people of their journey of faith. And the first one, very simply, is entering into unbelief. Um, the second thing, the second verse I want to mention here is he says, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to do. What he had promised, he was able to do. Um, the key to God fulfilling his promises in our life is that God fulfills the promises. And we, he, we can't perform that which God, only God can do. And I would argue that Abraham's biggest failure in his journey of faith, he, he didn't enter, the Bible doesn't say he entered into unbelief, but one of the things he did do was he tried to take control of the outcomes into his own ability, as he did with the, with the son, the first son that he had. One of the easiest ways to disrupt our faith, first of all, is to come into unbelief. But the second, the second 
way that's really, really easy to disrupt the walk of faith is when we try to take outcomes into our hands that God only holds. We cannot control or manipulate the outcomes of life. The only thing Abraham was called to do, and God did accommodate his misstep, the only thing he was called to do was to trust in God who is the only one able to perform that which he had promised. Right? And so you can, yeah, you can enter into unbelief, but the second thing you can do is you can not enter into unbelief and try to control outcomes of that which you think is supposed to happen. And, and either of these things can derail you a little bit from the walk of faith. Um, and so I, I love that Abraham, like in most of his journey though, he trusted God to perform that which he was called to do. Now I'll tell you, over the years, I've shared this argument Andrew and I had like six weeks ago. I'll tell you, we do not argue that much. This is the truth. But one of the things that we consistently argue about is navigation and directions. And the other day, we're driving to a restaurant that I don't know where it is. I've never been to this restaurant. And Andrea, I'm driving. Andrea puts the directions in on the car so that they come through on the audio, but I can't see the screen of the directions. That doesn't really, like, work for me. Like, that stresses me out. Like... I need to know, like, what is the end point of this thing? Like, which direction are we going? Which neighborhood are we ending up? And then I can follow all the little directions. But I'm like, it's like, turn right in 200 meters. I'm like, that just doesn't work for me. Like, that's not the way my brain works. And, I, <laughs> yeah, I want to understand the whole thing. And then I can follow the little directions. Um, it's funny, though, because... I feel like when you look at the journey of faith in the scriptures and you look at it in your life, you don't really get this overview map, Apple Maps. You pretty much get turned right. And I feel like that if we are willing to be faithful in the little steps that only God can lead us in, then we will find ourselves in the, in the new land. Like, Abraham's journey of faith didn't begin when he arrived in the promised land. It began when God's like, get out of your country. Like, okay, I'm going. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going. Go to a land I will show you. That is sort of like driving through East Dallas with the little Siri voice telling you where to go. Like he doesn't, he doesn't give all the answers. And so the easiest, one of the easiest ways is we try to take the outcomes in our hand and we think that only God, like, um, but only God is able to perform that which he's promised. I don't want to be too long this morning. Third point is, it, it says at the very end, it says this faith was accounted to him for righteousness. The faith that he walked in was accounted to him as righteousness. So I, I had to ask myself the question, what kind of faith, what kind of faith is accounted as righteousness? And I, um, how many of you have been reading the scriptures the last few weeks at all? So we're in the book of Job right now. 
and I've been completely, I've never liked reading the book of Job because it's kind of hard to relate to. I mean, in chapter one, this guy has a servant come to him and they're like, you know, a fire came down and consumed all the livestock and all the servants and I got away. Another servant comes and he's like, a whole band of soldiers came and killed all the livestock and I'm the only one who got away. And then somebody's like, hey, you know, your, the house was knocked down with all your children on it, in it. It's like, man, that's kind of hard to relate to. It's a lot of, that's a lot of suffering. And, but I've been amazed by Job's faithfulness. And I think a lot of times the way that we imagine faith, we've sort of conflated it with like a positive thinking, right? Like how many of you get sort of not positive thinking and you're like, you feel like you've lost your faith or you've kind of like, we've can, <laughs> what I love, <laughs> thanks for that bold hand raise. Yes. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> um, we conflate faith with positive thinking. Like, here's what Job says. Let me see if I... In Job 1, 20-22, right when all of his kids are killed, all of his livestock gone, it says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave. The Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And I've been impressed. Like the next chapter, Job is cursing the day he was born. Like in dramatic, full fashion. Like he is like, you know, I don't, I don't have all the words in front of me. But it is poetic and powerful. And he is, he is upset. Um, and I realize that the test of Job's faith and fidelity according to God has nothing to do with his positive thinking. And it has everything to do with the fact that he will not curse God or blame him. There is a faithfulness of Job's faith that is not just positive thinking. The righteousness of faith, the test of the righteousness of our faith is not the power of our positive thinking, but it's our willingness to be loyal to God in the midst of all. It's not the positive attitude. If it's the positive attitude, then what you have is a sort of self help gospel that's about you emerging to who you're supposed to be. The great test of our faith is our loyalty to God. Our allegiance to Him. Not your ability to trick yourself into putting a positive spin on the current set of circumstances. I'm not saying that you should go around cursing the day of your death, of your birth. Like this guy just lost his whole, all of his kids and everything he owned. This is like a reasonable response. Like it's not even that dramatic. Like it's a reasonable response to the situation. There are reasonable responses. There are reasonable negative responses to negative situations. And then there's you being overly negative. Those are two different things. But that's not, an, that's not exactly faith. 
So here's the three potential faith crushers, and I'm going to move on and we'll talk about it another week. Living in unbelief, taking control of outcomes, and assuming, this is the last one, is assuming that what God is looking for is your positive attitude. He's looking for your fidelity. Your willingness to be faithful in faith. Amen? Let's come to the table and we will go back to our seats and we will receive together.